Are you laughing now? Welcome to episode 9 of Embrace the Suck, the only official, licensed, sanctioned, nacho cheese-flavored podcast of APG, bringing you two cents worth of free advice on the heavy-hitting lifestyle. I'm your host, Bill Hart, coming to you almost live this time from Italy, where criminal courts are hearing arguments over whether to release elderly mafia bosses based on their risk for contracting the dreaded coronavirus. i got to tell you, I'm starting to wonder if maybe uh, I missed the boat being on this whole upstanding citizen gainfully employed thing i'm starting to think maybe if if i was a crime boss or just an all-purpose lie around deadbeat that maybe i'd probably be coming out a little bit better than i am but who knows i'll just play it as it lies right all right so before we press on quick beard update staring at the business end of i think week eight since beard reset day and at this point i would rate this thing at about the level of i'll say undercover narcotics cop Right. Like I don't look like uh, too rough and ready, but uh, I'm definitely I definitely have money available if you're in possession. Are you in possession? All right. So moving on to a topic for this week. Somebody emailed and asked how I was spending my leisure time during this lockdown, you know, apart from working and cooking podcasts and staying connected with clients. But uh, as far as leisure time and for me, leisure time uh, with kids running around and what have you, I, I, it's, it's mostly sit still and try to enjoy yourself. So for me, that's fun with foreign languages. So that's going to be the topic for this week, fun with foreign languages. Um, I've always enjoyed studying foreign languages, uh, since I was a little kid even, and, uh, I had to think about why. And I think for me, studying foreign languages is a little bit like stepping into an unfamiliar house where none of the lights are on and you cruise in and you kind of, fumble around a little bit and see what you can see and you know you, you run into walls you don't know where one room starts the next one stops and you bang your knees off coffee tables and couches and you don't quite know what you're running into but then if you imagine wandering around a house like this and you light one candle and you look around and you say oh that was that that vase I almost knocked over I see what that was now or oh that was that chair that I that I thought I felt while I was stumbling around or, oh the door's over there it's not over there I thought it was and the more candles you can light, you know, as you learn the language, the more you can see your way around. You know, then if you don't maintain it and you let these candles go out, then there's you knocking your knees on coffee tables again and wondering what's happening. So my um, my first experience with foreign languages, I was probably 12 or 13 and I saw one of these ads for, hey, learn it. And this was before the Internet, you know, in the day. And it was an ad for like a 45 RPM record type thing. And they say, hey, you know, you want to learn, uh, I think it was Spanish or Italian or French. These are your options. Enjoy, you know. So I said, yeah, man, I'll, I'll learn some French, you know, just in case I'm ever in France, you know, eating baguettes and wearing a, a beret or whatever. So I, I, you know, send in my three or four bucks or whatever, and they send you this 45 RPM record. And it's got like three or four kind of set phrases. You call it frozen chunks. Like you don't know what any of these words mean. You just know you say this and... This is what it means. So it has a couple of set phrases on it, and I'd sit around and, like, you know, I'm listening to my 45 RPM record. And so, you know, if anybody ever needs to know that my office in France is on the Champs Elysees, then I'll know exactly how to tell them that. But uh, 
from there, I went to high school and, and followed on and, you know, there's French again. So I, I look into that and I'll tell you this, uh, the phrase, I dropped it like third period French, it's there for a reason. And it's not a knock against high school teachers or teachers in general, but, um, dude, trying to, trying to learn anything around high school kids. And I can't imagine trying to teach anything, you know, with a gaggle of high school kids. It was, it was painful. So I cut away from that for a little while. But later, after, uh, after I'd finished SEAL training and I had done my first tour at a team, you know, the deal was, and I imagine still is, that you, you do your first five-year tour, sea duty, they call it, that you can go to shore duty. You know, you do sea duty and then shore duty. You can go to shore duty. And for a SEAL, that can be a, a gig as an instructor. That can be, you know, something working in the paraloft, you know, rigging parachutes. Or, you know, you can go to language school. So I said, yeah, man, I'll go to language school. So in 2000, I took off to to language school. And I think there are a few different places you can pick up languages now. They send you to a few different places. But at the time, the only thing going was uh, Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. So this is an army school. And they send all the, a, a lot of the intel people that have a foreign language requirement, they send them there. And this place has, I won't say every language, but nearly every language, pretty much every major language under the sun taught by native instructors in this place. Uh, the people that, a lot of the people that, that work there or a lot of the students, they call it Defense Love Institute and not without good reason. Uh, it's, it's basically 5,000 of the U.S. military's most verbally capable and socially awkward, all left to their devices for a year and upwards. So as you can imagine, shenanigans do ensue. But part of what was cool there was uh, uh, the language courses there, they, they really reflect the culture of the language you're learning. So I had a dude that I was at SEAL Team 1 with, and he was learning Serbo-Croatian. And it was kind of rough for him because teachers would never show up to teach the class because they were always fighting with each other. Like, true story. So they'd just sit in there, they have to work it out themselves half the time. Uh, me, I was over in the Asian section uh, learning Japanese, so I sit there by the window and uh, I look out and across the like across the little sidewalk there is where the Thai class was, and most of the time they were either cooking or watching a movie, and then next to them was the Tagalog class, like Tagalog, what they speak in the Philippines, and they were either showing up late or going home early. So pretty much a true reflection, you know, for my money. Uh, but Japanese course, so... Um, from day one, man, like at the stroke of, I think, what I, you know, if it started at like eight in the morning, boom, as soon as that hour hit, the door would open and a little woman would come in and either carry in a stack of books or a big bulky tape recorder and they would go at you. And I mean, from day one, you know, you think like you look at a weird alphabet, you know, if, you know, I don't know, like Cyrillic or, you know, you look at some uh, a Japanese phonetic alphabet and you say, yeah, I could learn that in a couple months. No, you learn that in a couple hours. You'll do it and you'll do it fast because they generate, they generate a need in you to learn this post haste. So I've got this, this little Japanese woman day one comes by and is just slamming books open in front of people saying, read, read. And like, but everything's in Japanese. And it's like buds in your head. It's like SEAL training in your head. Like they come at you hard and you're doing this like eight hours a day. So uh, I did that for about a year and a half. And by the time I left, 
I could talk about like uh, on the level of maybe a junior high school kid or a smart sixth grader, you know, sort of. Uh, as far as reading, I mean, they, they would just tell me straight out, like, no, your reading is weak. You're weak. With re-. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, I'm weak. But where I was reading something and I couldn't understand, I would always kind of go at them and I would substitute the word for, for vending machine. Jido Hanbaiki. So I'm reading along and there's an accident at the airport and three people were injured. Employees had to call the Jido Hanbaiki. And they're like, and I'm like, hey, hey, you like that? But um, no, it was it was a good crowd. The instructors there were fantastic. Um, all of my instructors, when I learned Japanese at DLI, it was all older ladies, which they, they were cool. They were fantastic. But um, there is unlike English, where it's very generic, uh, Japanese is a there's a clear difference between when a man speaking and a woman speaking. So all my primary instructors, they, their manner of speech was very flowing, kind of deferential sort of, and like, you know, so I, I learned to listen to that. So even now, if I listen to older Japanese women talk, I can mostly understand them. But now with a few times I would have conversation practice with some of the, the male instructors and they'd be like, well, you talk like a woman. You talk like a man. And I'm like, dude, I can't, I can barely understand you. What's, what's happening right now. But it still it was, it was a really good time. Um, I feel like you really you can't learn a language without taking away something from the culture, just even just through picking up the words, but being around the people for sure. And um, one of the things that I picked up in uh, the Japanese course that I still pass along to clients today is a thing called aizuchi. And the idea here is uh, this is sort of a politeness thing when you're having a conversation. When someone's talking, you have to throw in like, oh, is that right? Oh, very interesting. Oh, so this ne. And if you don't do that, then people think you're not listening. You're like, hey, you, do you hear what I'm saying? You, are you listening to me? So I've had I have had one client in particular say, you know, when I'm having a conversation, I'm trying to listen and I'm trying to help out with what's going on, but I find myself getting distracted. Is there a way? And I say, yeah, man, you do this. Like, listen to what they're saying and then kind of confirm. Like, oh, so you you went to the bus stop? Oh, yeah. And then, okay, and the cops showed up. And what did you say again? You know, so you know, stay engaged in the conversation that way. And that'll help you from being distracted by, you know, whatever, what, what color you want to paint the walls or whatever's happening. But um, more importantly, I think one of the things that, that I took away that um, really affected me there was I had a, an instructor. Uh, I had an instructor there, you know, one of the older ladies, obviously. And during this year and a half course, her husband had been sick for a long time and probably about a year and change into the course. So coming up towards the end and she showed up to work the very next day. So her husband, I mean, older woman, been married a long time. Her husband passes away. She's at work the very next day. And the way she went about it, it wasn't in a sense that, Hey, look how hard I am. I'm showing up here. You know, you need to be like me, be hard. No, it was kind of like, no, I'm at work because that's the proper thing to do. I have an obligation to teach you people. And I'm going to show up here and and do it. And even the sense among the other instructors was that, hey, instead of, you know, instead of giving her a hug and everyone having a good cry, if you want to, to honor her in her decision to show up here, just do your job. Put out in class and do your job. Even, you know, you're just in here learning a language that's not, it's not going to be tactically relevant, but this is where you are. This is what you're supposed to be doing. If you want to convey some sort of, some sort of honor to her, just do your job. And that really made an impression on me because this was 
2000, 2001. And uh, I'm a young frogman. And I mean, I'm, I'm in my prime, as they say, you know, young, hard frogman. And now I got to look at this woman and I'm like, that is what hard is right there. Kind of recalibrate. So that was, um, you know, even language or no, that was something I definitely took away from there. So I finished that course in uh, June of 2001, June of 2001, and uh, went to SEAL Team 3. And as you can imagine, I never made it to Japan because obviously 9-11 kicked off shortly thereafter. And and you ain't going to know Japan, man. You're going to Kuwait. Get ready to get your Iraq on. So I kind of took a break from, well, I, I took a break from looking at any kind of languages, really apart from how to say, get your hands up and... My ever-present Arabic favorite, I swear to God, I don't know anything. You know, I've, I've got a handle on that phrase, if you will. But uh, later on, to, uh, 2013, 2014, I had, a, I had a friend that was working in Germany at the, at the Special Operations Unit over there. And uh, he says, hey, man, Oktoberfest is on. You want to come out? So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll plan to come out. So he had hit me up about this late 2013. So obviously I'm going to miss that. I got a plan for 2014. So I figured, Hey, I'll start studying German so I can go there. And, uh, you know, I could talk to the people while I'm drinking their beer. Fantastic. Right. And something that was kind of cool about having learned one language is that you kind of learn how to pick out the mechanisms for the way that these different languages express what they mean. So I spent about a year learning German and then I go out here for this Oktoberfest situation. And Unbeknownst to me, I get out there and most people already speak English. So I'm like, well, perfect. Time well spent, buddy. Way to think it through. But uh, I get out here for this Oktoberfest situation. And uh, this guy that I'm going out there to hang out with, Mexican Frank, diamond him out. Mexican Frank. Uh, So I fly all the way to Europe, right? I flew all the way to Europe to hang out with Mexican Frank and go to Oktoberfest. And what does he say to me? Oh, bro, I forgot to get a ticket for you. Like, dude, come on, man. So you go to Oktoberfest and like you need a, a proper ticket. And they've got these things they call tents. And it's not a tent. It's like a giant wooden building that they just throw together. And you go in there and you get your get your beer on. But you got to have a ticket because there's morning session and then or afternoon session and then evening session. So they'll go in there. They give their ticket. They get smashed in the afternoon and then... When it's time, everybody leaves in an orderly, efficient fashion. And then the next crew comes in. So he's like, oh, bro, just sneak in. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just sneak into an event in Germany where no one cares about the rules. No big deal. Thanks. Way to think it through. But I did sneak in. So I go to I go to this tent and uh, I'm hanging out in there. And then the afternoon session ends and I'm leaving. And I end up I'm talking to these guys who are cops and they're, they're not, you know, in cop outfits or anything. And uh, they say, hey, we're going to go to this other tent. Do you want to go? I say, yeah, man, I'll go to the other tent. So I'm walking with these cop dudes. We're going to the other tent. And I get shoulder checked by this Turkish dude. So the deal here is that uh, even, you know, American military, you show up in Germany and they kind of give you a little brief. Like, hey, when you deal with these people, you got to you got to take it down a notch. You know, you can't be the belligerent American because these people have basically been getting kicked since since World War One. So you gotta you gotta reel it in a little bit, you know. Take it easy. So you know we do it as a way to be cool, but other people kind of take advantage of it. So I'm walking along, this dude just shoulder checks me, 
And I'm like, what? And he starts running on. Uh, he's, he's, saying, he's talking to me in, in German. And I'm saying, du sprichst so schnell. They've been American. Like, verstehst du nicht? And he's like, you know, he's not slowing down. He's just blah, blah, blah. And the, one of the dudes I'm hanging out with is like, oh, he wants to fight you, bro. He says, hey, German, you got to get out of the way. And I'm like, oh, I understand. So I turn around. I said to the dude in English. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm American. I'm just going to smash you. And he stops real quick. And he goes, oh, you're American. It's cool, bro. It's cool. And I, and I was like, you got to be kidding me right now. So now he wants to be my pal. So now I, I have a Turkish friend in Germany that doesn't doesn't want to get it on after all. So that was really the high point of my uh, fun and games with the German language. And since I've been in lockdown, you know, uh, you look at the state of the world and I, I figure, hey, well, why not look at uh, Russian? That's That should be fun, right? Um, I'll tell you something. Russian is not easy. Uh, or, you know, maybe it's just that I'm old. Or it could be both, really. So my first ever... Um, Real life exposure to Russian language, though, was uh, at a hotel in Dubai. Uh, I was with when I was with SEAL Team One, and we were out there in the late '90s for an exercise. And uh, me and this dude, Big Jeff, we're at a lunch at this hotel, and we're just having lunch. And the next table over, there's these these uh, three women that we thought maybe they were English or something, so we say hello to them. And then it turns out they're Russian, and none of them could really speak English. Only one of them could speak any English at all. So we're talking to her, we're sort of trying to talk to her and say, hey, you know, what are you guys doing here? Are you for, for work or what? And she's she's like, I am business. I am business. I am here uh, by lighting. I buy a washing machine. And Jeff is, he's, big Jeff is like cracking up. And he, and he looks at her and he looks at me and he goes, say stove and you got a deal. And this woman like stops cold and looks right at him and says, no, I am not cook. I business. Oh, yeah, it was a good time. Um, but as far as uh, fun with foreign languages, I think that's probably enough for one day. If you get a chance, take a look at our website. If you want to see what we have going on, check out our new and improved website. It's www.apg.team. If you've got a question or a topic you'd like to hear us cover, then you can send us an email to info at apg.team. So, as the sun sets slowly in the east, I will leave you with a public service announcement that outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. But inside of a dog, it's going to be too dark to read. Free in all the ways that you are not.